Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we're going to continue our series through the book of Psalms, looking today at Psalm 46 and a mighty fortress. Would you please join me now in prayer? Lord, we thank you that your word is true and that it's enough. And that in it you reveal your character to us in the person and work of Christ. And so, Lord, as we look at this majestic, this glorious psalm today, I pray, Lord, that in the midst of the times in which we find ourselves, Lord, that we would be greatly encouraged. Encouraged that you are on the move, that you are in charge of all of history, And that not one single event of history is outside of your purview, is outside of your knowledge. That even in the midst of our personal history, of world history, you are working all things for the good of your name. That your plan and your purposes and the designs and the intentions of your heart are good and holy and just and perfect. And that you are unchanging. You are from everlasting to everlasting. So, Lord, help us to trust in you, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who you say, Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So, Lord, help us to cling to these realities as we look at this great text, cement those realities evermore in our hearts and our minds maybe linger in our thoughts and our affections on the reality of the truths that we're going to discover here in this great text of psalm 46 and so i pray lord that and thank you that your word will not return without void as isaiah 55 11 says as hebrews 4 12 says it's sharper than a two-edged sword but yet lord you also through the ministry of your spirit you are the comforter and so lord we pray today that not only would we be convicted but that we would be comforted that you would take your word and plant it deep in our hearts and our minds and that it might might reside there on the good fertile soil on uh, of our hearts and that you would use it to help us to grow to be more like you and we thank you lord for this time that you've given to us now in jesus precious name amen well if you have your bibles go ahead and open them to psalm 46 psalm 46 hear what the word of the lord has to say to us today god is our refuge and strength a very present help in time a very present help in trouble Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God and the holy habitation of the Most High. 
God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of our God. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word and the hearing of his preached word. Psalm 46 has inspired many Christians in times of great trouble and distress. Martin Luther, that great Protestant reformer, spent nearly his entire life in peril because of the gospel, and he would turn his mind again and again to Psalm 46. His co-worker, Philip Menthon, recalls Luther saying at such times, Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. Luther's famous hymn version of Psalm 46 begins, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And Luther says this, We sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. Christians today appeal to Psalm 46 in times of peril. In the months following the attacks of September 11, 2001, many pastors throughout America preached this text. Because Psalm 46 gave American Christians and and people in general a godly perspective on the haunting memory of the great towers falling. Psalm 46 2 says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, and though the mountains be moved into the sea. And so Psalm 46, it shows a, what a difference the Lord makes in times of difficulty, in times of danger, in a world like our own. And maybe today, in the midst of what's happening in our world, you look out into your world and you see what's happening with Ukraine and China and Russia and even North Korea. You see the banking crisis happening in the United States and you see the slowing of the economy and maybe you've lost your job, unfortunately. Maybe even personally, you're struggling financially, you're struggling and you're hurting uh, because of the loss of family members in the last few years or friends. And on and on we could go. Psalm 46 is a help to us in such times. Because what this psalm is going to show us in three clearly divided stanzas, every single one of these stanzas are going to direct our faith to trust the Lord in the midst of all of life. In fact, Psalm 46, it first assures us that God is the strength of his people. Psalm 46 assures us that God is the strength of his people. 
In fact, verse 1 begins, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And if we're honest, you know what? There's a lot of people that would say, you know what? That's not true. God is not my help in the midst of my troubles. We wonder where, they wonder where God is in the midst of the hurt and the pain and the struggles of life. Because to them, they say that God is far off. And yet this text very clearly says, God is our refuge, strength, a very present help in time of trouble. In fact, the following verses in Psalm 46 speak of the great cataclysms that threaten destruction. The earth gives way, the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea, the waters roar and foam, and the mountains tremble in Psalm 46, 2-3. And yet still, God is our fortress, and the psalmist writes, we will not fear. And this description, it acknowledges that weak are vulnerable in every single way, and, and vulnerable to danger. In fact, the psalmist here is speaking of the upheaval in nature as a way of symbolizing the entire chaos of the world. Great and unexpected convulsions may strike us as individuals, as a church, as a nation, and yet this psalm describes the world in which we live. And if, and if we think we can manage it in our own strength, then frankly, we have not paid attention to past world history and to even current events in history. And yet, despite all these upheavals, one great fact makes all the difference. God is our refuge. God protects and he shields his people from harm. In ancient days, a fortress was a powerful protection. Behind its ramparts, enemies were not able to get through to cause harm. And in the same way, God protects his people. In fact, just to live near a fortress gave peace of mind. When trouble approached, people could run for shelter. And in the same way, simply reading these lines, it gives us a sense of peace and calm, for they instruct us that God is near as our refuge and as our strength. Many Christians can attest to the fortress that God is when tragedy strikes. Elizabeth Elliot gives this testimony. Her first husband, Jim Elliot, was killed in Ecuador by the Aka Indians to whom he was trying to witness the gospel. Her second husband, Addison Leach, died a slow and difficult death from cancer. Elizabeth spoke of both these tragedies in terms of Psalm 46, saying this, Everything that has seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling, earth is receding. In such a time, it is a profound comfort to know that all things seem shaken, and yet one thing is not. God is not shaken. Churches should ask where they hope to find security and strength. Many churches try to pile up money in their coffers. They're most interested in large cash reserves and, and connections with the wealthy. And we can be honest, God wants us to give to the work of the church, but money is not the source of our strength. It is not the source of our hope. Or we could bring in the most skilled people with the most up-to-date techniques. They know the most about technology and so they can help us to advance the church and yet even with that we might think that that will make us secure secure and strong 
And that is what the Israelites thought when they anointed Saul as king. He was taller, he was stronger, he was even more impressive than anybody else. And yet Saul was not a man of God. And in time, the nation was overcome. And yet again, we could trust our associations seeking to be right in the right denomination with the right doctrine, with the right policy, with the right policies, or to even have the best members join us. But Psalm 46 tells us that none of these things can protect us. None of these things can strengthen us. Even in the midst of our trials, we could lean on other people and we could think that that will help us. But that's self-sufficiency, which at its root is pride. Only God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. He is the only one that can help us. Now, Psalm 46, first stanza, identifies God as our refuge and strength. And now in the second stanza, in Psalm 46, 4-7, it speaks of God defending his city. And in its original context, this refers to an occasion when a great enemy rose up against Israel, laying low whole kingdoms in advance. Psalm 46, 6 says, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. And now many commentators think of this as uh, in this portion of Psalm 46 that it refers to the invasion of the Assyrian conqueror Sennacherib during the reign of King Hezekiah, which we find in 2 Kings 18 through 19, Isaiah 36 through 37. And Sennacherib led a vast army that overran the whole region and then came back against Jerusalem. His envoys made a mocking demands for the Jews to surrender. But on the advice of the prophet Isaiah, Hezekiah took his case to the Lord. And in response to his prayer, God destroyed the Assyrian army in a single night. Isaiah 37 36 reports that the angel of the Lord went and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And Sennacherib withdrew in disgrace and was soon overthrown and murdered. This is how easy it is for the Lord to deliver his people. As Psalm 46, 6 exalts, he utters his voice, the earth melts. And this makes the second point of Psalm 46 so powerful. And it's this, the church's great need is for God to dwell within her. The second point of Psalm 46 is the church's great need is for God to dwell within her. In Psalm 46, 5, it explains why Jerusalem did not fall god is in the midst of her she shall not be moved god will help her when morning dawns and yes the church and christians will go through periods of nighttime and even darkness but light will come in the morning if god is with her we need to be honest jerusalem was not special because of its buildings its culture its heritage wonderful as those things are but only because of the indwelling presence of god himself there and this presence was visualized when the glory cloud filled Solomon's temple on Mount Zion in 1 Kings 8, 10-11. God dwelt amid his people, and this was Jerusalem's glory. Over the years, the people gave their hearts to various idols. And when they had fo fully turned away from God, after many warnings, God withdrew his presence. Ezekiel tells of seeing God's spirit rising up and departing from the temple and in Ezekiel 10, 8, 18 through 19. 
That dreadful word, Ichabod, was written there in letters of spirit. The glory has departed, 1 Samuel 4.21 says. And not long after, those Babylonians were able to destroy the city without God. The city was easily overcome. And this is a dire warning to churches today, many of which have turned from the true God to false idols approved by the world or to false uh, philosophies that that should be destroyed by the knowledge of God and his word. But it's also a warning to us as individual Christians. We think we can give ourselves to sin and it will be such great fun for our pleasure and enjoyment, but it never works that way. The most important thing for Christians and the church's vitality and strength is that God should dwell in our midst. Now, Psalm 46.4 makes a dramatic statement about the blessings of life that come with God's presence. When it says, There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. See, the church in which God dwells is made holy by His presence, and it's called to holiness suitable to its God. God's holy presence there is like a refreshing river flowing through His city. And of all the great cities of the ancient world, Jerusalem is notable for not having been built beside a broad waterway. There was no river in Jerusalem, and we are probably intended to recognize that irony which directs us to look for different kinds of river and to see Jerusalem as a type or a pattern of the church. Psalm 46, it refers to a spiritual stream, the waters of which make God's holy city glad. The psalmist is speaking not about geography of earthly Jerusalem, but of God's presence with the church throughout the ages. It is the city of God that rejoices in the life that God gives. And regardless of her difficult circumstances or danger, despite her folly, despite her weakness, though we find ourselves in the most barren wasteland, and though this world with devils filled, as Luther wrote, should threaten to undo us, nonetheless there is a river, the streams of which make makes God's church glad. And now the imagery of a river flows all throughout the Bible. Genesis 2.10 says, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and out into all the world. The Bible ends with a river flowing through the holy city yet to come. And so in Revelation 22, the last chapter of Scripture, it begins by relating in Revelation 22, 1-2, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. This is the river to which Psalm 46 refers. It is a spiritual river. It is the river that Moses made to flow out from the rock in the Exodus. This is a river that spouted from the body of Jesus when he died at the cross. Psalm or John 19.34 says, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. In fact, Jesus' last invitation in Scripture in Revelation 22:17 speaks of this river to which all may come and drink. When it says, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. So what is this river but the gospel grace of which the whole Scripture speaks? The gospel throws throughout all of Scripture like a river. First comes its tributaries and the early promise of the Old Testament 
The river grows deeper as ceremonies of the law direct us to Christ and the prophet's prediction speak of great events soon to come. The waters rise to a full, brimming stream in the coming of the Lord Jesus when the long-awaited saving events finally happened and then surge to a mighty flood in the apostolic age as the gospel flows into every corner of the biblical world. And we can trace, we can trace the river flowing throughout church history everywhere refreshing, satisfying, and cleansing sinners by the grace of a loving God. This is the river that makes glad the city of God by which the Lord God dwells among his people as the gospel is preached, received, and relied on for power and blessing. The gospel is a river by which God's Holy Spirit comes, importing to God's people eternal life and every spiritual blessing that they have in union with Christ. And since the gospel is so vital, we must be clear about what it is. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ and the salvation he achieved for us by fulfilling all righteousness, dying in our place and for our sin, and rising up to eternal life on the third day. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve to have died. And now Jesus reigns in heaven and on earth over God's spiritual kingdom, sending the Spirit to empower uh, the faith and life of his church. Christ hand channels the, the mighty gospel river. It is through faith in Jesus that its waters flow to and through us. And so the psalmist rejoices in Psalm 46, 7, when he says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is as true as, as Jesus Christ is preached and believed, and so that he reigns in the church. Jesus has called Emmanuel God with us. And when he was in the boat, the disciples were not overcome in the storm. And likewise, when he was in the church as Savior and Lord, we will never fail. When Christ reigns in the home, there's, there's love and there's strength. The heart in which Christ dwells enjoys righteousness and peace and joy, Romans 14, 17 says. What an encouragement this is for every Christian. Our great need is for God to dwell among us. We have other needs to be sure but this is our absolute supreme need our necessity god is with us as we hear as we believe as we rely on the gospel so that his grace flows like living waters of a great spiritual river jesus said this in john 4 13 through 14 that whoever drinks of the water that i will give him will never be thirsty again it will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life See, the gospel is God's provision for every need we might have as a church. Paul writes in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Revelation 22 speaks of the gospel river throwing throughout the heavenly city. And it includes this description in Revelation 22.2. On either side of the river was a tree of life with its heavenly uh, uh a tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits yielding its fruit each month the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and so the gospel we could say causes good things to grow in the places where it flows through the gospel the holy spirit comes to bear fruit in our lives love joy peace kindness goodness and self-control as galatians 5 22 through 23 tells us and the gospel brings healing to our wounds and to our relationships 
Because when we realize that we are forgiven by God's grace, we are eager to grant forgiveness to others. And as we are grateful for what God has done for us, we are ready to show mercy and love for others and to offer our lives in service for the church. And with the God, with the God of life dwelling in our midst, the gospel river makes the church glad and blesses our lives. Now the final stanza of Psalm 46, it speaks of the church's purpose and the way it's achieved. The final stanza of Psalm 46, it speaks of the church's purpose and the way it is achieved. Now here the psalmist is going to reflect on the great victory that God won against all the mighty enemies, enemy powers. And he comments on the astounding ease with which God triumphed. What is the purpose of this? God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And here in the display of God's glory is the purpose for which the church exists and the ultimate end for which the gospel was given. And now Psalms 46, it speaks of two ways in which the church serves the purpose of God's glory in the world. And the first is through her witness. Verses 8 through 9 say this, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought the desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spirit. He burns the chariots with fire. And now the psalmist is calling the people to look out from the walls of God's city into the desolation of Sennacherib's army or of some other defeated foe. God is able to destroy every enemy of his people with just the power of his word. Come behold the works of the Lord. This is the church's message to the world. Come and see us as a church, inviting all to look upon Jesus in faith in his name. Christ has conquered sin and death. He has set the captives free. He has given sight to the blind to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus shined a great light to people living in darkness and given power for sinners to live as saints. Declaring this great saving achievement of Jesus is the work of the church. And there is a second way also in which the church serves the glory of God. In Psalm 46, 8, the church is speaking to the world, come behold. But in Psalm 46, 10, God is speaking to the church. Be still and know that I am God. Being still does not mean that we are to undertake lives of mystic contemplation, becoming passive and even inactive. Rather, we are called to stand before God and rely utterly on the power of God in his word. We are to cease relying on our power and our man-made strategies to manufacture success. We are to be still and know that the Lord is God. And as the church does God's work in God's way, patiently and happily awaiting his timing and for his blessing, we honor God and bring glory to him in the world. You see, the way to be still before God is to wait upon his word. In fact, all of Psalm 46 is an appeal for Christians to seek God through the word of the Lord. And how does God's strength become our strength? The answer is through God's word. We read these verses and we find that we're receiving the very strength of which they speak. How does God dwell among his people today? The answer is that he dwells through his word. He has given along with prayer and the sacraments which he attends by the ministry of his spirit. And in terms of our calling to glorify God, how do we bear testimony of his great works in the world? And the answer is that we testify through the preaching and the witness of the scriptures. And finally, how are we to be still before the Lord waiting on him? 
And the answer is that we take our stand on the word of God. We do God's work in God's ways. We look for the Lord to give the power that will glorify him through our lives. I mentioned Elizabeth Elliot, who found strength from God in light of the death of her two husbands. A more recent example is that of Lisa Beamer. Her husband Todd became famous as one of the men who fought for control of a hijacked plane that crashed on September 11, 2001. In fact, it prevented a greater act of terrorism. In an interview, Lisa explained how she found comfort and strength in God. When she said, I can't see all the reasons God might have allowed this when I know he could have stopped it. I don't like how his plan looks from my perspective right now. But knowing that he loves me and can see the world from start to finish helps me to say, it's okay. Faith means that regardless of the circumstance, we take him at his word that he loves us and will bring us to a good result if we just trust and obey him. And when our lives seem to be out of control, the story will not normally make the evening use. And yet the comfort of Psalm 46 will console us with the same unchanging truth. God truly is a support for all who trust in his word. And therefore, we find a refuge and strength in the Lord as we preach, as we teach, as we believe, as we witness and obey the word of God. In fact, let's be honest, Psalm 46, it shows us our great need for God to be with us, our fortress, our strength, our present help in time of trouble. This is a reality for us to remember, not only in times of danger, but also when trials have passed, when electricity has been restored, when life seems safe and normal again. We need God as our fortress. We need God as our strength. We need to live before him in quiet, trusting submission so that he will be exalted on the earth. And Martin Luther realized his need for the protection of God, and he also realized that if God is with us, We truly have nothing to fear. But how is he sure that God was with him? The answer is in Jesus Christ, God's Son, who came into the world to save and to protect all who come to him in faith. Luther knew that the greatest storm is the coming judgment of God at the end of world history, when God's wrath will lash out in unabated fury against all who have sinned and never repented and believed on the person and work of Christ. Such wrath is truly something to fear, and Luther knew that the only fortress strong enough to withstand it is the cross, where Jesus died to put away our sin and to restore us to the love of God. He also knew that the Savior he found at the cross is strong enough to protect us from every storm. And so Luther wrote this, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed. His truth to triumph through us. His kingdom is forever. Can you say that? Can you say that you know that you will triumph through the worst that this world can give you, even death itself? If not, your great and your most urgent need today is to be able to say what Psalm 46, 7 and through 11 said, The Lord of hosts is with me. The God of Jacob is my fortress. Until you know that, You have every reason to fear the storms that are going to come of various sizes and various types, most especially the storm of God's wrath in the final day of judgment. But if you will come to Jesus Christ in faith, receiving him as God's own son and your Lord and Savior, God will be with you. God will protect you. He will provide you. He will show you his glory in his word. And then though the earth gives way and the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea, you will not be overcome. 
for God will be your fortress. You will not be moved, for God will help you when the morning dawns. Dear Christian, this is an immeasurable comfort to you in the midst of all that's happening in our world with wars and rumors of wars and banking crisis and personal loss and heartache and and hurt and pain in our relationships. Oh, see, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is your immutable guarantee. He is your unchanging king and Lord and master. He is your prophet, priest, and king. He is the one who sustains you, the one who guards you, the one who helps you. He is the Lord. Titus 1-2 tells you that God will never lie. Hebrews 6 tells us that, that God will act according to his character. That means that God stands behind his word. And he will always act consistently and he will always act coherently according to how he has revealed himself in the word of our of the Bible. So we can trust him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 tells us very clearly to trust in the Lord with all of our strength. To lean not on our own understanding because that's what we do. When you don't have enough money in your, pay, in your bank account at the end of the month, what do you do? Do you pray? Do you ask for the Lord's help? When you're facing trials and storms and problems in your relationships, maybe in your marriage or at work or on and on it goes, do you go to the Word for help? Do you go to prayer? Do you share your burdens with other people so they, they might pray for you, even come alongside of you? Or do you just shut down, retreat, and seek the pleasure of the world, hoping for a reprieve for a time, only to find out that that reprieve is never going to satisfy you? What Psalm 46 does for us is it helps us in the midst of our troubles to look to the Lord, to trust that He is unchanging, because he has revealed himself in his word. And so we can trust him in the midst of all seasons and for all of life. Not because of our own goodness. Not because we deserve it. Not because we're so rich and wealthy and have it all together and we can boast and we can puff out our chest. But because God is good. God is our help. I can't tell you how many times I've read this psalm in the midst of deep pain, deep struggle, depressing, discouraging thoughts, especially verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. I'm reminded of, as a, as a sophomore in high school, one of my brothers came to me and he told me, you know what, Dave, your parents are having great trouble in their marriage. And that devastated me because I didn't see it. And once he told me that, I began to see it. I began to see it all the time. And all the time, very often I would hear them fight. And I would spend time in prayer calling on the Lord to help me. To, and um, there was many times as a teenager where, quite honestly, I went to sleep crying. 
and the Lord became my help. The Lord was my help. In the midst of your own anxiety, your own fear, your own discouragement, maybe your own depression, maybe maybe uh, even, even concern about the state of our world and all that's happening, take this home. The Lord is our refuge. The Lord is our strength. He is a very present help in times of trouble. With all of that is going on in our world, we need to desperately understand that God, that the events of our world are not a surprise to God. God is not surprised. God is not alarmed. God does not change. Unlike how many professing evangelicals, according to the State of Theology, published uh, in conjunction with Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research, say, God does not change. He is the same, Hebrews 13, 5 and 9, yesterday, today, and forever. That means that we can trust him. In fact, James 1, 2 through 3 tells us to consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face various trials of various kinds. The whole, the books of, of 1 Peter Hebrews, and on and on, they were written to persecuted, struggling Christians who were facing trials and being persecuted for the faith. And especially Hebrews reminds us of the sufficiency of Christ. How are you going to know that Christ is sufficient? You're going to know that because you trust the word of God. Because a sufficient authoritative word reveals a sufficient Christ who is worthy of who alone can meet your need in every single phase, in every single stage of your life. Because God is good, he is holy, he is just, he is perfect. And so we trust, so we believe, and so we obey, because God has revealed himself. And so we trust him. We take him at his word. We believe him. And we cling to closely to the cross and the resurrection and we watch as owen said the painted glories of this world fade may you and i we may we be as luther did said that he sang this song to the praise of god because god is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits against the gates of hell against the implacable hatred of the devil and against all the assaults of the world the flesh and sin may that be our may this psalm be our song and may we sing it like luther did with all of our hearts trusting in a faithful God who sees and knows and because of Christ cares for us. And by the way, Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 also says to us that Christ is a very present help in time of need. And so we can trust him. We can go before him. He knows our needs. We can do as uh, 1 Peter 5, 7 says and cast our cares on the Lord because he is our help. He is all we need. And he helps us. He sustains us through everything of our lives. And maybe you're not even persuaded by that. So let me go a little further. The very fact that you woke up with breath in your lungs is a testimony to the grace of God. 
The very fact that you might have a home and a shelter and food to eat. That's a testimony of God's kindness to you. It's a gift. The fact that this world functions at all. By the way, if that if you're not persuaded by that, the fact that our world functions as it does is because of the kindness of God who upholds the world by the word of his power, the cosmos that he ordered and because he created them. So all is by the hand of our God who is ruling and reigning over the events of all of history from the beginning to the end and everywhere in between the purposes of our God will not be thwarted because from beginning to end he knows he knows the beginning he knows the middle and he knows the end from everlasting to everlasting our God is good he is holy he is just and he is perfect and so we can trust him we can take him at his word and that's enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good, that you are holy, that you're just, that in the midst of all the trials, in the midst of the hurt and the pain and the struggles of life, we don't have to guess. We don't have to make something up. We don't have to be captive to world philosophy and secular ideology. We don't have to be persuaded by knowledge that opposes and raises itself against the knowledge of God. Instead, Lord, we can take you at your word because you are good, you are holy, you are just, you are perfect. And so we can trust and believe and obey you because of your grace and because of the indwelling work of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we thank you that your word is true, that it is eternal, that Behind it, you are you reveal your good, perfect, holy, just, and, and perfect ways. And so may our hearts be full of praise and worship, because that is the only proper response to this. And may, Lord, you cause those who have not yet repented and turned in faith to Christ, may you irresistibly draw them by faith through the work of the Spirit to Christ our King and Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.